Um, listen, we're, we're going to be focusing a lot on prayer today. And there's some prayer that I want us to engage in as a community. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how we want to do that. But uh, honestly, just even before we start, let's just take a moment here. And we've already done this, but let's do it again. Let's just pray for, for the people in uh, Louisiana. And I know Blake's family is still there, right? In, in kind of in that trajectory. They're in Baton Rouge, so yeah. So, Father, we, we <clears throat> know exactly what it's like to go through something like this. And we just pray that you will help. That uh, you'll mitigate the, the extent of whatever damage uh, is done. We know that storms come in life, Lord. Uh, but we just pray, Father, that you by your Spirit will protect and preserve. We pray specifically for Blake's family and the families of all of those who uh, are here in this community concerned and worried about them. Father, we put them in your hands and we trust in your hands everyone is safe. And so we pray, Lord, that, that you help and deliver, that you rescue and preserve during this storm. Uh, and we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, you know, we're going to be talking about prayer today. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lot to pray about. There's a lot of things even just like... We, you saw how we went back to the old communion way, because obviously we had, there, there are people here with this in, in this community that are very sick right now with COVID. We just need to be praying and trusting and doing what we can to, uh, to mitigate uh, the effect of that uh, pandemic. But man, between the pandemic and hurricanes and what's happening in Afghanistan and the people who are connected to, to that, there's a family in this church, uh, you know, the dad is still... Uh, over there in uh, Kabul. So we need to be praying uh, for all of that. But prayer is difficult. I mean, prayer is a, is a challenge sometimes. And, 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 and even with all of the things that we have that we need to pray about, it's not always easy to know exactly how to go about that or, or what it is that, that God's expecting from us. I can't see you guys. I'm sorry. So I'm just going to do this. And it's not that I'm going to sit here and stare at you all. <laughs> But I just don't like, I don't like, I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm sorry because that's your congas. And I, so anyway, if you've got a Bible, why don't you find your way to Luke chapter 11, please. If you don't have a Bible or would like one back at the info hub back there at the welcome board, uh, there are Bibles there. You're welcome to take one and that will be your Bible that you can walk out of here with. Last week, we finished up chapter 10 as we've been going through Luke uh, we were read about Mary and Martha, how Mary was doing the scandalous thing of being a disciple, of meeting, sitting with the men and learning at the feet of Jesus to be a disciple. And, you know, we, we, we talked about that, how Jesus described what Mary was doing there as being the one important thing, that, that this life of learning from and living for Jesus uh, is the one important thing for us to do in life and how everything else we do can flow from that sense of identity of who we are. We are followers. We are disciples of Jesus. Today we're going to read Jesus's instructions on prayer. And, and that means it's still then contextualized within the idea of being a disciple. Because a big part of learning from and living for Jesus is this idea of communication with God through prayer. Uh, it's an important part of, of our, our walk with God and our relationship with Christ. Still, prayer is actually a mysterious thing. Uh, I, you know, our attempts at prayer 
usually will range from like desperate pleas for help to quiet moments of rapture. And most of us are experiencing something in between those two uh, extremes. Isaiah complained in one of his prayers that God was a God who hides himself. And, and I understand what Isaiah is saying in that. It sure seems like an accurate description when, when trying to, to, to pray, to, to have these experiences of prayer. At least I'm speaking for myself. I, you know, uh, prayer can be difficult, and it certainly is mysterious. And it's something that most Christians, if the polling data is accurate, it's something that most Christians feel insecure about. They feel insecure about how they pray or how frequently they pray or all of that. So, I mean, here, real quick, just quickly. Who here feels like they really got this Christian thing down, they don't really need any instruction, and they do this perfectly? Who here feels like... I mean, there's one that didn't understand the question, but... (laughs) Who here feels like they've really got that together? Show of hands. Nobody? Okay. That's cool. So the good Christians have still not found this place. It's just us. So here we can be honest about prayer and, and, and how prayer is a struggle sometimes. I mean, here, show of hands, who has struggled with praying and feeling secure about how they're praying or how often they're praying? And this is my hand. I'm, I'm one of the strugglers. So, so it's cool then that Jesus gives us instruction on this. It's, if it's such an important part of, of how it is that we're following after Jesus, then it's cool that he gives us some, some guidance on this, some instruction uh, about this. Uh, he's going to teach us, he's going to give us a pattern to pray, and then he's also going to encourage us uh, to trust persistently when we pray. And we'll, we'll kind of uh, examine that as we go. If you're there in Luke chapter 11, Let's check out what Jesus has to say about this, starting then with verse uh, 1. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, hmm, okay, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. And forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Okay, so in in some unnamed place here in Luke's gospel, the disciples who, who, mind you, are Jewish, who've grown up in the Jewish culture, who are very, very familiar with praying. Prayers were just a regular, and still are, just a regular part of the daily life and routine of a Jewish person. They were observing Jesus as he was praying, and something about what they witnessed signaled a sense of deficiency in themselves. Uh, there was something about the way Jesus was praying that they, they recognized was unique and didn't seem to, to be reflected in the way they prayed. And so they asked for instruction like John the Baptist gave to his disciples. Now, we don't know what, what instruction or what prayers John the Baptist uh, provided nothing has endured through history concerning John the Baptist and what he would have instructed. Uh, but Jesus's instructions certainly have. And, you know, maybe that's the point. They were asking Jesus, help us to pray. And basically they're saying, help us to pray like you do. Uh, there's something unique here. How can we pray like you do? Now, 
again, we need to know that the Jewish traditions are replete with prayers. The Shema, the Baruch Hu, the Adima, the Kaddish. Prayers that are central to Jewish liturgies, that they attend to on a daily basis, a weekly basis, but most of it is on a daily basis. Uh, and, 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 and these were all in use in Jesus' day. So as I said, the disciples grew up praying those prayers, but they were looking for something more. Now here's what's interesting. As I was researching this, the Chedish uh, has some of the same elements of Jesus' prayer. And it's one of the regular prayers prayed by the Jewish people, even back in Jesus' day. It dates back to then. But it, it says this, Exalted and holy be his great name in the world which he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom and may his salvation blossom and his Messiah be near. So that's the first part of that prayer. And you can see that it's very similar to what it is that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But there are some very distinct differences in this as well. Key differences, we could say. Jesus teaches his disciples what we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. And here in Luke, there's a version of it. There's a version of it in Matthew chapter 6 that's longer. This is the shorter version. It kind of indicates to us, since they seem to be at separate events, that this is a prayer that Jesus would pray regularly, but it wasn't like a rigid, like, uh, formulaic ritual or a, a, a liturgy. It was just a pattern that he was following and, and that he was representing there. We call it the Lord's Prayer because he's the one who gave it to us, but really it's meant to be the disciples' prayer. It's our prayer, actually. And we also notice that when Jesus teaches them to pray, he gives them a community prayer, something similar to the Chadish. The pronouns are plural. Notice that in the prayer that he gives us. Give us, forgive us. And when Jesus introduced this prayer, and he said, this is how you should pray. And in the Greek, that you is plural. We don't really have anything. I was just going to say, so what he was going to say, what, he's, what it should have been translated is, here's how y'all should pray when you pray. Uh, and so these are expressions then of a community prayer. It's expressions of a community that is dependent on God and united in prayer for the basic needs of life. And, and this prayer that Jesus models for us, it pretty much provides a pattern and reveals to us the nature of prayer. And that is prayer reflects our total reliance on a caring parental God. Where the Kaddish opens similarly, similarly to Jesus's prayer, exalting God's name as holy and sacred, there's a key difference in that. I hope you noticed it at the beginning of Jesus's prayer. What did Jesus start his prayer with father jesus begins by addressing god as father this was unusual this was unusual in the context the jewish people recognized god as the father of israel always in that sense like in in a very abstracted way he's the father of this nation he's the father of israel kind of like we look at george washington as the father of our nation or whatever but they never personalized it like jesus did in this prayer here Jesus invokes a parental title for God. And in the Greek, the word is, uh, or rather the Aramaic word that's used here, translated, alliterated in the Greek is Abba, which commentators, there was one commentator back in the 80s mistakenly said that's akin to daddy. Uh, most scholars disagree with that altogether. It's, 
uh, Abba is a familiar term. It's a loving term, but it's still a respectful term. This is still creator God with whom we're dealing here, not just, you know, our buddy down the street or something like that. And this gets pronounced when Jesus says uh, that God's name is holy. He invokes that in, in this. Your name, who you are, it must be kept holy. It's set apart. It's different. And all of this actually implies mystery in this. He is not, God is not of this earth. He created it, but he's not of this earth. He's not like this broken place. He's a king, but he's not like the kings of this broken world. There's so much that we have to discover about him. One lifetime is certainly not enough. And he says, may your kingdom come soon. In other words, let there be an end to the brokenness of this world as we know it. Let there be an end to the violence and the war. Let there be an end to the terrorist bombs and the hatred and the prejudice and the oppression and all of the other stuff of this turbulent mess that this world has been. A world that we attempted to forge without God. Because that's what this is. That's what the nations of this world are. Humanity's attempt at recreating Eden sans God without his input. So this prayer is saying, let your, God, let your healing rule invade this earth. Where there's no more of this stuff that breaks our hearts on a daily basis. There's no more of this stuff that torments and distresses us. There's no more hurricanes blasting into counties. There's no more pandemics tearing people apart. And then he gives an example of what it looks like when we're praying this, what it is that we're looking for when God is invading this earth, when God's uh, presence is here in his kingdom. And the pronouns change from your to us. Give us food for the day. And what an amazing, like, peaceful concept that is. When you think about the world and as it is and how everybody's grasping for power and they're a piece of whatever's happening here. And we, on the other hand, are called to look to our Father and look for that provision for this day. For this day. The kingdom of God comes through food for the day. Literally in the Greek, it's bread. Through the simplicity of God meeting our daily needs and we as children and subjects of this king trust, trust in his provision. We look to him. We keep our focus there to him. No one, nothing else. Forgive us, he says, our sins. And we'll forgive those who sin against us. Remembering that forgiveness then is the central part of God's work in this earth. It's that forgiveness that's turning everything backwards, that's turning death upside down. It's that forgiveness that's God that... God is perpetuating through this world. Forgiveness is how God's kingdom is manifested on this earth. We cannot ally ourselves with someone who says we will not forgive. That can't work when we're Christians, when we're following this king. It cannot work. It cannot be our mantra if we're claiming to follow this king. I know it sounds difficult. I know it's awful because we see things go on in this world and we want vengeance. We want retribution. 
But if Jesus overcame this world by laying down his life on a cross, how do we assume we're going to do it differently? And then he prays that we will have the enablement to overcome the temptations of this fallen world. Overcome it. It's a really short prayer that he gives us. It's five petitions. It takes about 17 seconds to read through slowly. But the content of this prayer cannot be sufficiently measured. There's no amount of time that we're going to have that's going to be sufficient to be able to dig into this. It's deep and it's wide and it is all-encompassing. And all of it is intended to focus our faith and center it on our need for God. We need Him. (laughs) No one should have to instruct us on that. We need Him. Look around at this world. Just take a moment to think about the headlines you saw just this morning. We need Him. Nowhere, notice this, nowhere does this prayer encourage us to ask us to be holier than somebody else. Nowhere does He in this prayer ask us to to pray that God will get our enemies for us. He doesn't even ask God to make us look good in front of others so that we feel better. It has the singular focus of God. God. When we pray this prayer, and you know, sometimes we're going to do it today. We we pray it as a community prayer here at the end of our services here at at church at at Eastgate. And, uh, And I put a summary at the end of this prayer that says, we confess you're in charge You're our provider. Our lives are in your hands. And that's a summary of what it is that this prayer is saying. You, Father God, are in heaven and your rule is invading this earth and and to do your will. So, So you're in charge. You're the one in charge of all of this. There is no greater authority than you. You provide for me what I need for for my daily provisions for living to the forgiveness for our messes and our our moral failures. You are our provider for all of this. And it's through your guidance and protection that we're going to make it through this world and be delivered from its corruption. So our lives are in your hands. That's the summary of it. You're in charge. You're our provider. And our lives are in your hands. This is a prayer that develops a practice of daily dependence on God. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to pray these exact words, though I don't think there's any harm in doing that at all. I'm all about using those words and then letting that be the platform from which we expand our communication. But this is a pattern that Jesus wants us to pay attention to. Prayer, as Jesus reveals it, isn't about getting God to to do stuff for us or trying to inform God about things that he might not be aware of. God, I need to let you know what's happening over here. Prayer is our intentional communication with this mysterious God. And through this communication, discovering who he is and developing a trusting dependence on him for our whole lives becomes the result of it. It's about expanding and nurturing our hearts as we communicate with the one who made us in his image. Prayer then is really an act of submission to the rule of God. And prayer, as Jesus is describing it, and as as we put it together with all that is revealed throughout the word, from the beginning of the story all the way up to this point, prayer is a portal to the kingdom of God. It's the place. Prayer is the place where heaven and earth overlap, where they meet. And, And we really need to think about that so that no matter where you are, 
or what is going on all around you, whenever we begin to pray, whenever we are praying, we are present in heaven and heaven is present with us. It's that overlap. It's that overlap of heaven and earth. We really need to begin to see it that way. If we need to grasp hold of this concept, prayer is much more than just a quick request that we're throwing off. Not that there's anything wrong with quick requests. Do them. We'll get to that. But, but, but we need to see what this is, what it is that God's provided for us in prayer. This does not mean that you're always going to have goosebumps and warm fuzzies and everything's going to feel, you know, so cool and supernatural. No. Like I said, there can be all kinds of stuff going around, uh, around us and we may not feel a thing, but if we remember that the moment that I'm invoking my father's name and seeking his help and looking to him for my provision, then heaven is right here and I'm right there in heaven. That, that is the thin place that God leads us to. So Jesus taught us what to pray, this idea of our total dependence on him, on God. But what about how? How should we come to God's throne of grace? How often should we pray? What's the attitude behind it? All right, well, let's keep reading here. Verse 5. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I got nothing for him to eat. And suppose he rolls, or call, rolls <laughs> calls out from his bedroom. I think he'd roll out of bed, but he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I'll tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Okay, so earlier in this, Jesus emphasized God's holy status. You are holy. You are above and beyond, which could cause some people to wonder, well, maybe I should only bother this really holy above and beyond God rarely. Maybe just in moments of dire need, I'll, I'll see if he can, you know, pay attention to me at that. But Jesus' story here is informing us that God is approachable and gracious and generous and ready to hear our requests. And he gets that across through comparison and contrast in this story. And again, to understand the story, we got to you know, go to first century Israel. So uh, first, we need to remember that, that food in that context was not lying around. You know, nobody had a refrigerator. You didn't just go to the fridge, grab something and, and have it ready. And food wasn't in bags in the pantry or anything like that. Bread was baked every day for the day's needs. There were no 24-hour Taco Bells, nothing going on like that. Second, the culture had strong expectations about hospitality. And we talked about that last week. It was a person's duty to care for a guest that came to your home, even if they arrived unexpectedly, even if they caught you unprepared. It was your duty to see to it that they had provision there. So that's the situation. A late evening guest, there's no food to provide for them. What am I going to do? I'm searching around, checking the couch for any, you know, the crumbs that maybe got in there or whatever. Another detail to factor in is that most ancient homes were one-room dwellings. So 
If you go next door to try to talk to the neighbor, it is very likely you're not going to just wake the neighbor up. You can't text them or anything like that. You're going to wake the whole household up in something like that. So, so this is Jesus saying, how bold can the host get himself to be in seeking to fulfill his, his op- cultural obligations at that point? And Jesus poses this dilemma by asking us to step into the host's sandals. Suppose you went to the neighbor's house in the middle of the night asking for any leftovers, the, you know, you got any donuts left over, you know, we might have for, on hand. And the neighbor's response puts the tension of this in full light. Go away. My kids, my, you know, when he's saying my family's asleep, he's talking about his kids, basically. You know, my kids are finally asleep. You think I want to wake them up? You're crazy. You know, we just got through the, you know, mom, I need another glass of water, all of that. I'm done with it. I want them sleeping. I'm not going to wake them up. And I do believe there's intentional humor in this parable that Jesus is trying, because it's a situation every parent and even a non-parent can grasp. You're settled in. I don't want to, you know, mess that up. But it's the final response. He, he complies with it. Not because he's such a good friend, but because of, as Jesus puts it, the host's shameless persistence. The host has nerve to make such a request. And it's out of respect for his boldness that the neighbor honors the request. And, and honestly, the neighbor could be putting himself in a position of, of being shameful, in not providing what they needed. That's, you know, it was more of a cultural thing, more of a, a village kind of thing than even just an individualistic kind of thing. So there was a lot riding on this. But Jesus is using comparison and contrast here. Our need, like the host, will compel us to seek God's provision shamelessly. Doesn't matter what I look like to everybody else around me. I'm going to do this. I'm seeking God. And if a simple human in this fallen world can be moved by the boldness of asking, certainly God, our loving creator, is more willing to hear our requests. And so this story, I believe, is an invitation. How, you know, how, how should we pray? Not what, but how should we pray? Well, I believe we're invited to bold persistence in our prayer. And this, this is qualifying Jesus's pattern for prayer. He wasn't just giving us a prayer that would become routine and formal. Okay, it's time to pray here. I'll read these words you know, something that we go through the motions on, on a daily or or weekly basis. No, Jesus frames this in the context of our pressing need, needs that are are present with us at all times in all aspects of life. We're invited to bring those needs to God for his help. doesn't matter what it is. Bring it to God is basically what this is trying to get across here. Now, we still have to puzzle through the imagery of this because, you know, some have taken Jesus's words here to mean that if we keep seeking and asking and knocking, and if we're persistent enough with God and we got enough faith, then whatever it is that we ask from God, he's ultimately obligated himself to give it to us. Whatever it is, if we do it long enough and have enough faith, we're going to get, you know, this was my experience in the crazy church. This is what we believed. You know, you just keep doing at it and you keep at it. And obviously God will have to give in at some point. He's obligated himself to do that. The problem with that is obvious. I mean, right? We can, it takes a few seconds to realize that it can't be what he's trying to communicate in this. Cause like, you know, oh God, please strike down my coworker. She's driving me nuts. Just smite her in your wrath and mercy. Uh, you know, and I'm just going to keep asking you till you finally do it. Cause you said, you know, I, clearly that's not what Jesus is inviting us to do. We always have to factor in that what we ask for is in harmony with God's character. And also, we may not really know what it is we need, 
right? I mean, there's been plenty of times when my kids were little and they would come to me and ask me for something. Dad, can I drive the car? Yeah, you're four. No, you're not going to. So, I mean, there's plenty of things that are going on in life that we don't really even fully understand whether we need it or, or don't need it. And, you know, obviously God's not going to allow something that's not working for our best. And we also learned, especially through the book of Job, that sometimes there are things going on that we just can't know. And sometimes we're going to have to endure stuff in this fallen world and not necessarily have it alleviated. But the real point Jesus is making isn't so much about the specific request. It's about the persistence of the requesting. In other words, persistently coming back to the one that we are dependent on. Don't lose that sense of dependence on the one who can provide for you. It's an invitation to bring all of life before God's throne, seeking his care and his provision and his guidance through it. There's never a shortage of things to pray about. We never, you know, nobody ever says, let's have, let's pray. Okay, well, can you think of anything to pray? No, no, not, not a thing. Everything's perfect. No, there's trouble and crisis in the world, in our nation, in the church, in our families, in ourselves. There's always going to be needs present and issues with which we need God's intervention. We need his, his provision for. And if in God's providence, we don't get the answer we wanted Basically, Jesus is saying, don't give up. Don't just say, ah, this doesn't work. I'm going to go find something else. Maybe Buddha will help. Or He's saying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Somewhere along the line, something's going to click into place. You're going to recognize or see. Maybe you actually receive what it is that you've been looking for and needing and desiring. Maybe, you know, a bit of wisdom is going to come along the way. And there's a knowledge and a recognition that, oh, okay, I can see that wasn't even what was right for me in the first place. And really, honestly, in my experience, those non-answers become times of real personal growth for me, where I can learn about God's character and learn more about myself in the process. I can even examine, like, what was it? Why, why did it have to be this way in my thinking? Why couldn't I have imagined it another way? Uh, we're invited into this. This is the point. We're invited into this bold and persistent, ongoing communication with God, a communication that is declaring boldly our need for him our dependence on him, that we are not able to just do this life thing on our own, that we don't have a better plan or a better resolution than what it is that God could do for us. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying in that? Okay, so this is something that Jesus is going to elaborate on because what that comes from, that position of saying, okay, you know, I just need God and I'm going to continue to come to him. But why would we continue to come to him? How can we know that that's, you know, even going to be helpful in any way. And the point is, is that that we can trust him. And this is what Jesus elaborates, verses uh, 11 to 13. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? (laughs) Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the point here is just as basic as it gets. The basis for our confident and frequent prayer is God's great love for us. 
And this drives home the contrast of the earlier story. If a sleepy neighbor is going to give in and answer the door, how much more will God be willing to respond to us? If a fallen human can figure out that tricking and abusing our kids is wrong, how much more will our Heavenly Father know to care for us and not play mind games with us and not be just stringing us along like the pagans' God because they're pagan gods because they're capricious? Now he's driving home this parental image of God again. And I realize, okay, and I have to qualify that. I know that father for some people can conjure images and memories that don't inspire anything good. And I get that. But let's just focus on the idea of a parent then. And no matter what our experiences have been, we we can still imagine the ideal, the ideal parent who cares for and provides and, and protects out of love a child. We can all imagine that. And this is the point. God is our creator, our ultimate parent, we could say. He is determined to provide what's best for us, what we need, what's going to lead us towards eternal life. See, unlike prayer in the pagan world, God isn't some reluctant deity off polishing lightning bolts in the cloud somewhere, some deity that we have to try to bargain with to get our demands met. Prayer, as Jesus is revealing it, is meant to foster a trusting relationship between ourselves and the God who made us. It's interesting that he uses the imagery of snakes and scorpions again. I don't know if that reminded you of back in chapter 10, but those, you know, this is what he said we'd tread on. Those were prevalent images of evil and chaos in the world, in the ancient world. So in other words, God is not the author of chaotic and evil events in our lives this happens. People will sometimes, something terrible happens or whatever, and they're just, well, God has a plan and it all. Well, no, this, this isn't necessarily God's fault. This isn't something God intended to do. God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of the chaos and the evil that's present. It's present in this world. And God is working his will out and his intent is for what's best for us, to care for us and to love us. But as we learned in Job, there are bigger things going on that we're all that we're not able to see. So sometimes we're going to get tumbled along the way. The, the, the fallen things are there as a result of the fall. But God's intention for us is provision. And the main provision that he describes giving us is the Holy Spirit. And I love that. This story gets told in Matthew and he says, God will give good things to those you know, who ask him. And here, Luke puts it as the Holy Spirit. And, you know, for Luke, the Holy Spirit plays a big role. When he gets to volume two of, of this in the book of Acts, it's, you know, it plays a vital role. The Holy Spirit is, is involved. He plays a vital role. It's, it's entirely focused on the work of the Holy Spirit. And I honestly love that Jesus promised to provide the Holy Spirit for us in these moments. If you really think about that, this is the best answer he could have possibly given to us in this. Because in, in, in John's gospel, the Holy Spirit is revi- revealed as our counselor, our guide, our conviction, and our comforter, meaning that through the Holy Spirit, we have access to wisdom, discernment, and most of all, a coping life. And I think that's the point here in Luke. Prayer isn't a vending machine where we put in the right amount of coins and the right kind of faith, and we get a bag of chips guaranteed at the end of it. Sometimes life goes terribly badly, but prayer is that relational communication that gives us access to a coping life through whatever it is that's happening. 
God never promised us immunity from life's problems and pains. My dad wrote a book one time saying God never promised us ham and eggs every morning for breakfast. You know, uh, he said sometimes we have problems and we think, why uh, shouldn't I not face these things? Because I'm a Christian. But the point is, half the time we didn't even know we had problems till we became a follower of Christ. Then all of a sudden it becomes, oh, this is a real mess. Uh, but God never promised us immunity from life's troubles, but he did promise us that he overcame the world and that we would too in him. He did promise to guide us through us through it, giving us his own power to do so through the Holy Spirit, therefore to overcome any circumstance, whether it works out well for us or not, in our hearts, in our sense of peace and well-being, we are untouched and unmoved because God's provided us with everything we need. So, Let's take Jesus up on this invitation. Let's make it our intent to communicate with our loving creator wherever we are, whatever it is that's happening here. Let's make prayer a place of submitting and trusting where we understand ourselves as loved by this divine parent who knows us and knows what we need and wants what's best for us, whether we recognize that or not. And from that place of dependence and security, We can face this uncertain world with confidence and with love. We can broadcast forgiveness and reconciliation because we've experienced it. And I'll tell you, that kind of love is the only thing that can change this world for the better anyway. Right on? All right, very cool. Why don't you stand with us, please? Father, I just pray that this morning as we, as we work our way through this and as we contemplate these things, that you by your spirit will illuminate your words to our hearts and our minds. Help us to grasp this and lead us, Lord, into lives of robust prayer. Not, not so that we can look holy or cool or what, you know, I don't know who that would look cool to, but you know what I mean. Not so that we can, you know, present ourselves in some way, but so that we can get to know you and trust you more because that's what you call us to because you love us. So reinforce that sense of your love for us, which will draw us into you. Pray that in Jesus name. Amen. this prayer like Jesus taught us to pray and this is kind of our version of it I've paraphrased it I borrowed some from the message but I want to when, when we're praying it I just want to pause between each line just for a few seconds and in your mind in your own heart pray what that means to you pray with your father who loves you so let's begin father in heaven reveal who you are Set the world right.
do your will here like it's done in heaven. In our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, begin it there, Lord. Provide for our daily needs. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. And now let's just say this all together. We confess you're in charge. You're our provider. Our lives are in your hands. Yes and amen. Go in peace, you children of God. If uh, you need prayer for anything, 